Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 255. We're recording on Monday, April 9th, 2018. I'm Jeff O'Neill. Here at Jen Northington, we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Rebecca had to step out last week. We we had, uh, our, our, our week was thrown into turmoil by a variety of things. <laughs> last week, everything is fine. But we're, we're recording late uh, on a Monday. And one of the side benefits is we got... I don't even know how to describe it. Um, the whole the whole book world, and by the book world, I mean book right people and insiders, became obsessed with a weird Searcy pre-order pricing thing on Amazon. We'll get into that in a minute, but we can start to digest some of that. It's, this is now the Searcy yeah. pricing <laughs> podcast. I, I don't know. I hope everyone's okay with that rebranding, um, but that's what we're doing. Rebecca will be back next week. Jen is stepping in. Jen, Jen who... It takes an extreme thing for Jen to order oh something gosh. from Amazon, and this passed the threshold. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that, that more in a minute. <laughs> um, why don't you do some follow up for us about something you and Rebecca talked about yes. when I was out? Uh, yes, whenever that, that was. I was trying to remember how long ago that was, but who who knows what day it is? I don't know. I do know it's a Monday because it's very Monday. But uh, yeah, so the <laughs> this is fun. The showrunner of the beloved and now re. I guess restarted show Will and Grace um, donated a copy of John Oliver's A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo to every one of Indiana's uh, 1,121 public grammar schools. Um, if you will recall, Rebecca and I talked about A Day in the Life of Marlon Bundo, which is John Oliver's sort of parody children's book of um, the book that Marlon, or excuse me, Mike Pence's daughter wrote about their pet rabbit, whose name isn't. In fact, Marlon Bundo, which is an excellent pun. Um, It's a bun pun, as Rebecca pointed out, and I do love it. And, you know, I so after we talked about it on the show, I guess the publisher heard and sent us a, a PDF of the book so that we could read it. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they okay, did, which that. was really sweet. And and I read it, and it is actually child appropriate. I was I was wondering, <laughs> you know, because there is this whole sort of novelty children's book market mm. of like you know go the f to sleep, etc., where right. they're not actually intended for children. And I didn't know if this was one of those or if it was actually like readable by children. And it is, and it is, it's really adorable and a fun read aloud. Um, mm. I I really loved it actually, and so I think there are probably a lot of um, very happy grammar schools in Indiana. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, I love the quote here that Muchnik, Max Muchnik, who's a showrunner, wrote on Instagram that he decided to celebrate the gayest bunny of them all, the Easter bunny, with this donation. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes me laugh. Um, it's If you haven't heard, it's a book about a bunny that falls in love with another bunny, and they are both 
male bunnies. So if you if you like me are a fan of the Parks and Rec episode where Leslie performs yes. a wedding for two gay penguins, you might also want to get your hands on this. But that's a really nice. That's a season one Parks and Rec. Yeah, it's yeah, early on. So, yeah. It's early yeah. on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As as I am a inveterate Parks and Rec rewatcher, I do not rewatch the first season because they haven't quite figured out their. They're not in their groove yeah, yet, so it's yeah. kind of fun, but like it's not where I go back. But that is that is an early, uh, a memorable episode. What you know, social media does a lot of weird stuff uh, around everything, <laughs> you but don't in books say. in particular, you know, that you, you have these these crazy peaks in stuff like this where it becomes a thing, and this became a thing, and it continues to be a thing. Uh, if you would have asked me if I thought it was going to be like a novelty adult book in children's book trappings i think i would have agreed with or i don't know if you thought it was more likely to, I, yeah, I think i, I would have guessed yeah. that it would have been like the man's bach go to f to sleep mm-hmm. and, um some of those things are there others like that's that's the canonical version of the uh children's book or i guess the the adult book in wolf's clothing of children's book i, I can't think of another off the top of my head i know there's some parody ones like there's a good night moon one i think yes it's a parody yes for there's a there's a really i can't remember which musician it is but it's like basically like a music studio where like some musicians have been partying and there's like vomit <laughs> there's like vomit on the floor oh, it's real gross yeah there are a bunch mm. of good night moon parodies um there are others of course i cannot think right, of them now sure. off the top of my head but there are are. There are a bunch of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting to see. Um, uh, a, a fun byproduct, you know, of uh, I guess a, a real silver lining story into a cloudy, <laughs> a cloudy situation. Uh, let's see, let's do a sponsor before we get into seriously because I'm feeling we're going to mm-hmm. need to chew on that one for a while. And we are own we're our own sponsors. We are we are the we are all that we need, Jennifer. Here. <laughs> that's all we are all we need. What, what are we What are we celebrating here? What's What's going on? It's the first anniversary of Book Riot Insiders. That's I right, literally cannot believe it's been a year. <laughs> like I have to keep looking at the calendar and then going back <laughs> a year on my calendar to be like, is this correct? This can't possibly be correct. It has been a whole year since we launched Book Riot Insiders. It's amazing. It's, it is amazing. And um, it's, well, let's talk about it a little okay. bit. What, 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 do we ta- what do we want people to be, know about here? Maybe we'll talk about Insiders writ large here in a minute, but what do we want them to know here? Indeed. So it is our exclusive content for subscribers platform, and it has everything from special podcasts and newsletters just for subscribers. There's monthly swag drawings. Um, and the big shiny is the new release index, which is curated by all the books Liberty. And mm-hmm. she like goes, she does a deep dive into what's coming up in in the next few months and she puts the most interesting looking ones into the new release index and there's book information and you can build your own watch list and keep track of them. So if you are constantly struggling to keep up with the new releases, as I think many of us are, it is definitely worth your time um, to check that out. And that's available. There's three different levels and the new release index is available at the novel level, which is the middle level. The epic level is capped, but new spots do open up monthly and novel level subscribers get first cracks. So that's like the sweet spot right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so th- the podcast, the exclusive podcast, there's two of them for the novel level inscribers. There's the uh, Read Harder podcast where um, Sharifa and Josh pick out books to fill each of the Read Harder challenges. That comes out, was that once a month? I- I've lost it's twice track a of month. my case. Twice a month. Twice a month. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the Remix podcast where you get hosts from the normal, behind, you know, in front of the paywall shows like this show and all the other ones that we do. 
Um, but we mix up and scramble the host pairings to talk about whatever we want. Amanda and I, uh, we talked about the first line of Harry Potter for 45 minutes. <laughs> Rincy and I, that's, I, I only care about mine. Yes, right of now, course. I'm, I'm talking about mine. Rincy and I are, are, I'm paired with Rincy for the next round. We're going to be recording something here in the next couple of weeks. Um, you and Liberty talked about Buffy, yes. which we see people mention as a, uh, a catalyst to get them to try the show or rewatch the show. I don't know if they're just looking for a scapegoat so they tag you guys or what's going <laughs> on or, their, or your actual discussion got them going. But um, we talk about things that we like. Some things are book related, some not. I know Rincey and Rebecca talked about cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm now blanking on some of the other pairings. But you get, you know, a, a little, you know, behind the scenes, informal, as opposed to, the, you know, the tuxedo and tails yeah. of this show. Real formal um, over here yeah. on the main right, right, real formal. But, you know, even a little more loosey-goosey mm-hmm. and uh, a surprise uh, every time that goes up. So you can you can take a crack at that as well. Yeah, I just want to say right now that the um, April episode, which runs mid-month, is uh, mm-hmm. Rebecca and Amanda After Dark. So Oh, Lord. It's, okay. It's, I, have, I have had the pleasure to listen to it, and I think uh, folks will enjoy it. Talk about informal. It, it hits yeah. that. <laughs> and how. Were they, were they drunk? Did they drink? Well, yeah. I mean, Amanda had wine and Rebecca had whiskey uh, as they okay. were recording, and Amanda also had pie. Um, and oh, okay. uh, yeah, so it was it was full of libations and um, and deliciousness. And they, you know, it was fun because they got way deep into their book ride origin stories in ways oh. that I had never heard before, and I have known both of them for years. Mm-hmm. So it was super interesting. Yeah, they were both bitten by spiders, yes. um, and then. The- <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that go to bookriot, uh, excuse me, bookriot.com slash insiders if you want to find out more. Um, so go check that out. And thanks for all, I know a lot of listeners here um, are bookriot insiders at various levels. I want to say thanks, and I hope it's been interesting for you. It's been a lot of fun for us. We've learned a lot. Um, and we're still, if you've got ideas for other things we can do, we're looking for things to, to make it a fun and interesting and uh, valuable experience. So, uh, and Jen has done an awesome job captaining that particular ship. Oh, thanks. So, kudos to you. Uh, no, you know, we haven't had a huge, it's been in it. I mean, we were talking about this for five seconds, like outside of the realm of the talking sure. points and the ad, just because I think it's one of those things that is interesting in the meta level of what digital publications are doing these days. Like, you and I, when we were putting this together, we looked at a bunch of different other membership programs. We continue to look at other membership mm-hmm. programs to uh, steal ideas, borrow, you know, whatever. And it is an interesting thing to do. If you're not going to go full paywall, right? I mean, this right. is the conundrum. If you're not going to go full paywall or a metered payroll like the times we get 10 free, which we're not going to do. Like 99% of what we do is available for free, ad supported. You know, we have a billion podcasts, billion newsletters and all the content on the site. What are you going to offer people that's worth them paying, where they feel like it's worth paying, where you feel like you're not just sort of charging them for no reason, but you're also not doing so much work that it doesn't become work mm-hmm. it. It's kind of a tricky spot. I feel like for right now, we feel pretty good about it. What, what's your sense of uh, of how this, our program, like, is and isn't related to what other people are doing? Yeah, it's interesting um, because I think that one of the things which worked very well for us is that when we were thinking about starting it, we thought about things that people had asked us for that we did mm-hmm. not have the bandwidth or the funding to do. And we we're like, well, if, if it was behind a paywall, maybe we could do that. So like the new release index, which is a huge sort of dev project. Um, right. 
was not possible really otherwise until we had the Book Riot Insiders sort of bucket to put it in. Um, and that continues to be one of the things that people are, you know, actively using for sure. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I do every like week it feels like I'm dropping a new reference to somebody else doing <laughs> their play their their own sort of version into our Slack so that we can look at it. Um and I see a lot of variations on the you've said you want to support us so here's how and some yes. of them are very flexible and some of them do feel very um sort of worth NPR it. NPR membership drive. Yeah, kind of yeah. Almost, some yeah. of them feel more NPR membership and some of them feel more like you literally are getting fancy content. So it, mm -hmm. it's there's a huge range out there. There's just such a range of what people will consider worth giving dollars to. And I really honestly don't know how much of a difference there is between even necessarily what we're doing and what people are doing on Patreon, for example. Yes, like, it, right. I don't think there's a huge difference aside from that we built our own platform to do it. Um, mm. And there's potentially more bells and whistles than, you know, but I, I support a few creators on Patreon and, and some of them, or and, you know, there's also like organizations like the Rift Bodice, for example, which I know we've talked yeah, about before on right here they have one um and i was looking at it the other day and it's interesting so yeah i i think you know i i i am hopeful about that model because mm -hmm. i think that a straight up paywall is really hard um yes. to sell on a lot of different levels and but I, and i know everybody's getting like five dollars a month out um in in other ways mm -hmm. but i feel like when you're getting creative value for your buck hopefully that feels like it's yeah i think that's it's super interesting especially right now when everyone is rightfully wringing their hands about Facebook mm -hmm. and their ad model and all that they represent. They ain't the only ones. Nope. Um, you know, you know, is there is this the only way? Is there another way you could do this? And you're right. The paywall only only works. I think if you're one of the top AAA brands, yeah. writ large or in somebody's life. If you're the New York Times, if you're mm -hmm. the Washington Post, if you're the Wall Street Journal, if you're trade associations. If you're sort of an entertainment hobbyist site, mm -hmm. kind of like ours, I think it's tough. Yep. I, I think it's very difficult. Um, but some kind of model where you can give your biggest fans a little bit more, mm -hmm. I think is the right sort of philosophical implementation thing. I, in our model, you know, we're a for-profit company. We're not a 1513C or nonprofit or just sort of like doing it for fun as a passion project necessarily. So I also, I mean, that's something you and I agreed on or very early on is we don't want to make this you know, come help us keep the lights right. on. Like, that's not the message. No. Like, that's not what this thing is for. Right. We're okay without this. We want it to be sort of a, uh, you know, you're, you're buying something and you're getting something that feels like the value and you're not you're not giving a donation to help us keep the lights on. Um, not that there's anything wrong right, with those Right, I was going to say, like, if you want to do that, that's cool. If you, but... Yeah, that's if you want to make it, you know, like, there, there, is, there is a little bit of that, um, you know, sow where you reap situation mm -hmm. that people talk about with independent bookstores and other places are also for profit. Like, if you want the thing to survive... Mm -hmm. But you know you help this you help the site surviving by listening to the show right. by visiting the site like you can do that anyway so that that's a little bit different too so mm -hmm. it's it's a work in progress and I think there's a lot of interesting things we can do you know uh, on an ongoing basis um, well and it's also proven a really cool trial ground for things that are going to yes. come to the public soon that's like, right I don't yes, want to spill any true. beans but like we've no. got some cool stuff coming out that we mm -hmm. tested first on insiders and so having that as available as a testing ground to see if this is a 
thing that would actually work with, you know, yeah. a group of readers is, is really interesting. Yeah, to have people invested because they like the side and they like us and they're willing to give us some feedback mm-hmm. and to try something out that may not be like fully baked quite mm-hmm. yet. Um, it, to try the first pancake, so to That's speak, right. is really useful to us. us. But speaking of insiders, like this is related to our, our main yes. topic of today because it it's something that happened, you know, we were talking about in the insider Slack. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, tweeting about it. Um so, okay, speaking of Rincey, I guess, I mean, we can do a TikTok a little bit. So this was, uh, TikTok, I, it'd be helpful if I know what freaking day this started. <laughs> I think it was Thursday. It, is, is that right? Well, wasn't it Friday or was it Thursday? It was, thir- it was Thursday. Thursday. You're right, Friday. it was Thursday. Yeah, I think it was, it was Thursday. Thir- Thursday last week. And so, um, it, let's go back up. So, Seriously by Madeline Miller is coming out uh, tomorrow, actually, as we're recording this, which is... It's not a follow-up, but it's her second book after Song of Achilles, which I loved. I'm really looking forward to Circe as well. Um, but anyway, it's a book. It's a literary fiction title. It's, you know, I haven't read too much about Circe because I don't want to spoil it, but I'm guessing it is a fictional take of uh, the life, the legend of Circe, uh, of, of Greek mythology especially. Uh, Madeline Miller is a classicist um, turned novelist. Mm-hmm. And it's one, you know, literary fiction nerds have been into and excited about. It's long. I just noticed this when I was looking at it. It's like 500 pages long. Anyway, so Rincey posted on her Instagram that she was excited to read it. And one of her followers said, I just looked at this up because of your post. And right now, the pre-order price for the hardcover is $2.79 on Amazon. Uh, which Rincey dropped in our contributor Slack. You know, our book, mm-hmm. we have a you have like five thousand different. No, we have three. <laughs> uh, or at least I'm part of three yeah. different. Books. Maybe there's other ones that shadow shadows governments um, book riot Slack. Anyway, in our contributor Slack, where our contributors and staff, you know, talk to each other about what's going on the side, ideas, things like that. And she's like, "Dudes, check this out." And then we got a quick post up on the site about mm-hmm. it, and I put it in book riot deals. And that sort of spilled over to Book Riot Insiders because a bunch of them mm-hmm. started ordering, a bunch of our contributors started ordering it. And it became, and I think remains to, it remains a mystery about what exactly happened, what the ramifications are, who is left holding the bads, who, how this could have happened. Um, initially, we thought, I guess initially we didn't know what was going on. We were like, this is a great deal. Go buy it. Mm-hmm. And as time went on and Amanda and some of us were trying to, to puzzle out, we're like, this has to be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like this has to be a mistake. At first, we thought. Now, tell me, you know, stop me any time here. Did you did you immediately know it was a mistake when you saw that? Well, I strongly believed it was a mistake. Yeah. I, I, I didn't guess me too. No, I mean, how can we know? But like, I right. really did not believe that that was correct. And the reason I didn't believe that it was correct is because. Amazon does pre-order things super cheap often, Mm -hmm. but $3 for a hardcover literary fiction novel just sounds wrong. Like that's just like an order of magnitude cheaper than other things you see. It's just bananas for for $2.97. And and also like that feels like a decimal point error or like a percentage (laughs) error. Like it's 10% of the price, right? It's 10%. Yeah, the the cover price is $27.99. Right, so could it have meant to have been 10% off instead of 10% of? Like it just Mm. feels like, it feels like an error to me. Yeah. 
Now I yeah. cannot, so, yeah, I don't know for sure that that's true, except for that it did. So I found the post on Book Riot. It was Friday. It was Friday. It was April 6th. It was Friday. Yes. Okay. And, um, and it looks like here, uh, the editor's note says as of 1021 AM. So this all happened like early in the morning yep, um, on the East Coast. It, as of 1021 AM Eastern time, the 279 pre-order price has been taken down and the hardcover edition is listed as currently unavailable, which also strongly suggests that this. <laughs> This was <laughs> right. an error. This was an error. Oh, yeah. I think by then we knew it was an error. I'm yeah. just talking about when we first heard about yeah, it, we no, were like, what's I going thought, on? Right. I thought there was no way this was correct. I was like, somebody hit the wrong button. Like, somebody hit the wrong button somewhere. Yeah. I think I think my suspicion was the same. But on the other hand, pricing stuff yeah, is weird. Like, true. people give away Kindle books for free. Like, you see all sorts of stuff that's, that's bizarre. So there was, I don't know, plausible deniability, but we had reason mm-hmm. to wonder. Like, maybe this was... You know, maybe it's because coming off of some of the other shenanigans we've seen around New York Times bestseller right. lists or things going on. Maybe I think the, the mental model you would have had to have that it's not a mistake was they're trying to get a bunch of these out in the mm-hmm. world so that people will read it. Maybe they're trying to make the New York Times bestseller list. Right. Maybe they're trying, you know, because Amazon reports to them if they sell a whole bunch of them. In, in hindsight, that felt wishful thinking is the wrong thing, but it was a little too. Um, Ingenuous, right. I say, right. like you know, like that. This would be something that would come on. And by the time they're monkeying with it two hours later, mm-hmm. that was that was a clear sign to me that someone just made you know a fat finger error, mm-hmm. you know, like on your phone or something like that, or an intern with the CMS. I don't know what Amazon CMS um, looks like. Uh, Jesse Dugan, who's one of our uh, book Riot contributors, who also works in publishing, was giving dropping some knowledge on us just about how things worked over there, which made it, I think, even more likely. That it was a mistake, and it really was only available on Amazon for two seventy nine for a few hours mm-hmm. that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I got in Book Riot deals real quick. I hit publish right away, uh, and I can really I can tell you just because we track, you know, we get a percentage of the money of the things that go through Amazon for us, and we sold three hundred eight copies in that two and a half hour window Dang. of the hardback. Um, just just right then, and that that's the only ones we can track. Mm-hmm. Like if someone went and picked it up on their phone, or they were you know they opened a different browser or whatever, you know. We can only we can only tell right there, and so I have to say I feel a little bit of uh, conflicted about our own role in this. Like I feel like maybe in if, we, if this happens again, maybe we'll I don't know about exploiting the mistake. I'm not sure. Like what can you know? What you cannot know? But I feel a little bad that the, I think the most likely situation right now is that someone over at um, Hachette, right, or it's Little Brown, so you know, Hachette made a mistake. We jumped on it because we thought it was a good deal. We we're excited. We wanted people to get it for such a good deal. But I feel a little bit of like, ah, oh, was that cool? Or should we have done that? Or maybe we could have. Well, I don't know. There's a little bit of that I'm feeling, I have to say, after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I think that's valid. But I also feel like it's highly unlikely that Little Brown is the one that made the mistake because Amazon sets their own price for books, as we famously know. Like the publisher. For print. Yeah. For yeah. Print. yeah right. I, I mean, you know, right. Ebooks is agency model. So mm-hmm. the publishers have the right to dictate that price. But for print books, Amazon can charge whatever the heck they want. So, and I don't know that anybody at Little Brown can hit a button that changes the price on Amazon's site. Like, I don't think that's possible, honestly. You don't think so? No, I really don't. I mean, I could be wrong, but I would be shocked if that were like if that were possible. I believe that somebody at Little Brown could say, hey, we want to do this promo and here's the pricing. Mm-hmm. And maybe they hit it wrong in the email or something. But like, do I believe that somebody at Little Brown can hit a button and then on Amazon it shows up? No, I don't believe that for a second. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I guess I still, I still am unclear about 
I guess there's this is a situation where both parties could have made the mistake. Yes. Or either one of them could have made and the mistake. And now also, the way that Amazon works with publishers is that they order a set number of books from mm-hmm. the publisher, and they have terms worked out regardless of the sales price. They pay a certain, like, you know, price to... Heshet for those books and then they sell them at whatever they want and books are famously a loss leader for Amazon they under they basically lose money on books to get you to buy refrigerators and diapers like that's how Mm -hmm. that's how Amazon works with books in particular Um, and so but but Heshet doesn't it doesn't change what Heshet gets. They have specific terms that they've negotiated with Amazon. That's They get paid for those books at those mm. terms, and it has nothing to do with the price on Amazon. Now, if the error did originate with Heshet, it is possible that they are the ones left holding the bag. Right. But because Amazon does set their pricing for books, for print books... I've I okay and so here we get into the reason why I clicked on this right because I don't feel great about three dollar hardcovers like for a start (laughs) like I want I think you know I think they're worth more than that and um Mm -hmm. and I think you know publishers put more money into them than that and authors certainly deserve a nice big royalty check whenever possible so it's not you know like it's I'm I'm I get enough books from the library that I'm not just like you know looking for cheap hardcovers Especially because right. I, I need to minimize the number of books in my house. Okay. So like that just to set the stage for that. And then on top of it, I was an indie bookseller for more than a decade. So Amazon is like, I only order for them from them under duress and never books. I've never ordered. Like Is that right? Is this your first Amazon book I order? I mean, it's my first Amazon print book order that wasn't me like doing my job at work to send books to somebody via Amazon. Uh. Like for, for personal. I ordered it personally. And this mm-hmm. is the first time in many years. I can't swear that it's my only one, but it's certainly one of a very few. Um, Mm. And the reason I did it was because I wanted to know if they were going to honor it. I was like, well, my suspicion is is that this is an error. It could be a really killer deal, but I want to know what happens next. Like, I was so caught up in the moment and in the like how is this true and obviously I could have found out what happens next from other people but it doesn't hurt that I do really want the book too. (laughs) Well it's a beautiful Um, book I mean it's also a beautiful hardcover. Like I loved the Song of Achilles you know I thought it was really well done Um, and so it was this weird soup of like the momentum of the conversations and Slack and then what I know about how pricing works on Amazon and publishing and then like the specific book like if it had been literally any other book, yes. would I have ordered it? I don't know. I, I suspect no. But this one, I was just like, shoot, like that's a book I actually do kind of want to own. And it's $3. And if I can stick it to Amazon, like if Amazon has to like eat that money, I kind of feel <laughs> good about that. I'm not going to. Like, for you, it was kind of like the opposite yeah. of the Bermuda Triangle. It's like a few things coming together in a good right. way. Like be, you know, that's a book you wanted. There was this thing going on where we're like just sort of curious about the process yes. and that you can like sort of take Amazon for, you know, 10 bucks or something right. like that. Like or whatever now, else it turned out of to. course, that all falls apart if Hesha is the one who has to eat it. But yeah. like, I still feel like in my 
It, and maybe this is me wanting my logic to be true, but I would be really surprised if Hachette, if, if, if Hachette was the one who had to foot the bill on this. Like, it seems yeah. to me like this is an Amazon error, and I really hope that's true. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's how, that, this is what it took to get Jen this to buy is what it, This is book. what it looks like. Uh, a couple other pieces, because as we are right now, April 9th, like, this is, I mean, look. This is the kind of thing we like to nerd out on mm-hmm. this show. Um, so, you know, we're going to spend a few minutes on this. It's not a, it wasn't like a, like other places weren't posting about this. Like it's also like, oh, it wait, falls into I do a niche, remember. Nice crack for book I rack. do remember Target had it too, right? Target well, had it too. I was going to say yeah. that was a thing. There's a couple other things that are interesting. So maybe we'll jump to that first since you mentioned it. Target has a price match guarantee with Amazon. So they have an algorithm that like scrapes basically Amazon's prices. And if it sees something that's completely out of whack with what they're doing, Target will automatically drop their price. So one thing that happened is by Amazon having it for two seventy nine, Target's price went down to two seventy nine and actually stayed lower longer. Mm-hmm. And for all I know, I, I don't think it is right now because the Amazon price has gone back up. But you could get for we updated the post to say okay, you can't get it from Amazon, but Target is still doing this price. And so you and and that one we sort of puzzled out. Certainly, if you bought it through Amazon, that is not Little Brown's. Little Brown will not be holding right. the bag with that because no, Target. No. Is drop you know so if you really wanted to try to thread the moral needle right. here like you know you're in you're in one of those episodes of the Good Place where you're like reading the codes <laughs> of ethics or whatever like that one is where you could really stick it to the the multi billion dollar conglomerate if, if you're into such things so that was one byproduct but the other thing we were the only ones to cover this as far as I can tell mm. like other people weren't doing this and we sold a bunch of copies now we're kind of getting into a Heisenberg uncertainty thing here where that we were a part of it meeks. I think we affected the outcome mm-hmm, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Like, if we don't post about it, is it still two dollars and seventy? Like, how many copies at two seventy nine would they have had to sell over what period for someone to notice? Mm. Because it went from, like, I, I, we captured this it, on the Amazon Fiction hardcover charts. It went from like one hundred and twenty eight to number four Dang. in like a few hours Friday morning while we were doing this. 300 copies is probably enough to do that on Amazon in that short of a time. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, w- us publicizing it changed the the trajectory of the story. And this might be interesting too. Like if we look at BookScan next week and it makes the hardcover front list bestseller list by a few hundred copies, 500 copies, like there's a real chance that because of this glitch, we did in fact become part of making it a bestseller under suspicious, accidental, right. weird, whatever you want to say terms, which I think is a fascinating, that's yeah. really fascinating. Cause like how many, how Cause some people bought it through target through mm-hmm. us. Like we don't have a target affiliate. So we haven't, so if another 50 copies there and other people are buying at other places, now we're talking about song of, now we're talking about it on this show. Mm-hmm. We were talking about last week. Like is the whole thing a spawn con conspiracy that we'll talk about Circe for 25 minutes on our show. Like you can really start getting your tinfoil hat collection mm-hmm. and put it to good use here. Um, but a fascinating, like, little corner of the world where I think the cascading ramifications of the mistake shows how interconnected the online bookselling world, especially when you have an amplification platform like ours, mm-hmm. where because someone tipped us off and, like, we want readers to know about this, and there's really not another site for right or wrong, for good or ill, that would do it as fast as us like this. Like, the millions are going to do this, you know, the New York Times are going to put this out, like, it's no one's... BuzzFeed yeah, I could guess, have, but I don't know. Yeah, BuzzFeed could have, but they don't really do stuff no, like this. No, they don't, yeah. Like, it's not really their thing. Um, but And so it, be, it fell into this weird niche within a niche, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something that we pay attention to, which is giving readers, like, a good price and alerting them to a good deal. It's, like, part of our DNA, that we became, you know, an amplification platform for this which really i'm going to be interested to see how it plays out yeah. um next week because you, 
you know, okay, say let's say that we could only we could only track half of the sales that we generated, six hundred copies. Not a big deal in the grand scheme no. of things. I mean, let's face it. Even if Little Brown has to eat it, they're part of a chat, which is part of Lagardere or however you say that giant French mm-hmm. conglomerate. Like they gonna be all right. Um, the other the other wrinkle here was Amazon's price pre order price guarantee, which is also another right. wrinkle where. Yeah. You want to explain that? I've been talking for a minute. Take it away for that one. Well, I was just going to say, right, so pre- Amazon does have this pre-order price guarantee where you are guaranteed the lowest price between when you order and when the book goes on sale, mm-hmm. which is clearly going to be $279. Or, yeah, and but the thing that I was half expecting was that I would get an email saying my pre-order had been canceled due to, like, it, this was an error. It wasn't a real price option. And now my pre-order is canceled, and I'm free to pre-order mm. at this price. Like I, that is a po- that was a possible outcome. Yep. Even right. with the pre-order guarantee, because if you you call error, you know, like I mean, they might have had to field some angry comments, but mm. they certainly could have taken it back, especially because it was only up for what, however many hours, like two or three yeah, hours. Four hours. Yeah. yeah. So so I was really honestly expecting an email canceling my pre-order. Not gonna lie, That's like I was, I was expecting really too. expecting that. And mm. instead, like I, I got charged the two seventy nine plus shipping. Like I'm so, you know, it it went through. Um, and you just said like even if Hesha has to eat it, like Amazon can eat this, you yes. know, on toast, like on the side of their breakfast plate. Like they right. have no problem eating this. Um, and then and then you know I start to get in my head about the ramifications for bookselling because of course I do um, mm. <laughs> and 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 this is what the indies were upset about which is le- a legit you know upsetness about the devaluing of a hardcover for three dollars. Um, and I don't feel like that's a great long-term strategy for anyone. No, for no, sure. No. But in this instance, it was just so. I like I I got so little done that morning because I couldn't I, look I know, away. All, I, I'm trying to think of I don't some equivalent in the in the rest of the world. It's, I guess it's kind of like um, you know it, it like uh, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yes. And the stakes were small, yes. so it wasn't like anxiety pro- no. provoking in that kind of way. It was it was an odd like what's it's kind of like what you see those stories from time to time where like a goat gets out of the zoo and it's like wandering yeah. around some small town. And you're like what's going to happen here? Like this is fun and it's a little bit weird. And I, I don't think it's going to get like you know, hit by a truck or something, but it's like, you know, the llama's mm-hmm. out and let's see, and let's let this play mm-hmm. out. This is not supposed to be happening. Let's enjoy it while it lasts. I, yeah. So I, I can report at this point that, that we can also see when the pre-order is shipping for what price, because we, again, we get a, we get a percentage uh, of the purchase price. And so far, all the pre-orders that have been shipped through our account, again, the, the purchase data is anonymized. We don't know who bought these things, just what gets bought is all the hardcovers that are shipping through us, um, through our Amazon sales, are two seventy nine plus relevant taxes. Um, that's what we can see. I don't. I, it's a little bit tricky. We move enough units that in the way that the the spreadsheet is available, like it's a little bit difficult to go line by line. There could be one buried somewhere mm-hmm. that they got charged seventeen ninety nine or whatever. But as far as I can tell at this point, um, all the pre orders are going out at that price. And you know, it's one of those things too for Amazon. If they have to eat it or whatever, it's probably worth it for them not to. Have to f- field a bunch of mm-hmm. customer service problems and just you know ship it and let's let's move on with our lives. So I guess that's the it looks like those are going to be honored at that particular price. I was like you, I thought there was going to be an email that got out and said we've canceled your pre-order, we were made it available at this, you know, 1681 or whatever it would be for a normal pre-order. Mm-hmm. I guess the next shoe to drop if there is a shoe to drop is like does it put it over the top to become, you know, a bestseller? Mm-hmm. Uh because, you know, literary fiction 
it might be, you know, five to 500 to a thousand copies might be enough to bump it up to 10, you know, eight, nine or 10 at the bottom. It's, it might be, it may not be. Um, again, this is, it's April. It's not a, there's new books coming out. If this was August, I think it would have, you know, a better chance there's fewer books coming out. But, um, you know, there's a chance that this, this has an effect on the, the, its status, you know, does it get a sticker on it or whatever else it would be. But, I think I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty much it about this story. Is there anything else that we, we've missed or that you found interesting? No, about? I think I think that covers all of it. I I really wanted. I want somebody to tell me what happened. Is my I know. I like. I've, I've got my like magnifying glass and my you know houndstooth <laughs> cape on, and I'm just like, yes. all right. So who? What? Where are the clues? Like, tell me somebody. Tell me what happened here. Um, so if you have any insider knowledge, if you do, I, little birdies will be honored. Yes. Your your anonymity will be honored right. if you know anything That's about right. this. Um, you will be you will be protected by um, your ornithological uh, moniker mm-hmm. as a little birdie. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. I guess it also thought made me think of speaking of meta level book selling um, mm-hmm. issues. You, it, it is interesting to think about lowering the price for pre orders to get it on the bestseller list as a strategy. Is not something you'd you'd think that you you might see more of that as a strategy going on. Like if you pre-order it, you get it for twelve dollars rather than twenty-five. Mm. You know stuff mm-hmm. like that. If the if the bestseller status really does matter, which seems to for a variety of reasons, we could talk about it some other time. I'm surprised there isn't to see, there isn't more gaming of that particular, you know that that particular thing because yeah. honestly. A publisher at twelve dollars per is still making a couple of bucks per copy. Honestly, I mean, just how these things go. I mean, there's some overhead and things like that, but they're not taking a bath mm-hmm. at twelve ninety nine on a hardcover. They just aren't. So that's in, that. That's something that's got me thinking about this in a different way. That is like pre order price shenanigans or gimmicks or things like that. I, I guess I'm a little surprised we haven't seen that because we've seen on the opposite side with ebooks. Mm-hmm. Like after a book's been out for a few years, you get a, get a copy for a dollar ninety nine. Well, getting the book out initially into more people's hands, maybe you break even on the first 5,000 pre-orders. They have 5,000 people pre-ordering it. Like that's, that's a side of this I haven't really right. seen uh, be played with, especially in models where you have dynamic pricing, um, where you can change the price mm-hmm. uh, relatively easily on, on a large online platform. And that Amazon does so much of print book sales is you could really only manage one pricing platform place. I, I don't know. I'm just going to say P words for the, from here <laughs> to eternity. But like you could only you could only mess with the price in one location, not have to mess with it in a billion to really affect the sales. And you could promote it. I don't know. I thought that I thought that was interesting too. I, again, three dollars is ridiculous. That, at that point, you really are taking yeah, a loss yeah. um, for real. But nine ninety nine. I don't know. At what point has it become interesting as an experiment? I, I, I'm not really sure about that. Well, I mean, um, we might have given somebody grounds to try an experiment. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And and then you know, would the New York Times or other lists like do that? Put that dagger Ooh, as they yeah. say. Well, you know, that would they get um, flash a little sale. asterisks? <laughs> yeah, right. That, that there's something else going on um, with those particular things. But I don't. Again, this is a, this would be a weird book to try that out with. Mm-hmm. I don't. Think yeah. Would, no. Exactly. Make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of things in hindsight that line up to you know. The circumstantial evidence suggests this was a mistake. Um, I, I still don't know enough about how the price gets mm-hmm. controlled to to put my um, chips on one on red or black. I right. guess in this rule of blame that we're sort of talking about right now. But 
anyway, I, you know, at this point, someone made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ordered it through us, ordered CRC not through us, and you got something other than that two seventy nine for a pre order price, I'd sure like to hear about it. You know, drop us an email uh, podcast at bookriot.com. If you have little birdie things to say, podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, there as well. Okay, boy, we really went into that. That's but, but you know what? It's super interesting. We, we were itching all, yeah. all weekend. We were chomping it. We were chewing that steak mm-hmm. all weekend. So we needed to get that uh, out of there. Um, you know, in a normal week, uh, in a normal well, I, I guess the Nobel. Let's wait. What's the, what, the Nobel thing's a big deal? It is right. This is a big deal. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm still having trouble parsing exactly what's going on. You know, so basically. Um, there were a couple of Swedish Academy members who departed the Nobel Committee last week. And as far as we can tell, there were, excuse me, three of them left, and a fourth was considering to leave. And what's interesting here, and we'll get to the reasons for this for a moment, but I want to talk about the structural reasons for a minute because it, it, it's fascinating. There are 18 members who are elected for life, there are no provisions for resignations, meaning that if you don't die and you leave, your seat remains empty, right? They can't replace you. And if they don't have a 12-member quorum, then there's a stipulation in the Nobel by that they will dissolve the Nobel Prize for Literature. And the origin of this is um, a Swedish newspaper reported that 18 women had accused Jean-Claude Arnaud, um, a a major figure who has close ties to the Swedish Academy of Sexual Assault and Harassment. And from there, there was a lot of insider fighting about what went on. And the, the, the Nobel Academy hired a law firm to investigate each member's ties to him. Basically, there was a domino effect that these people said this wasn't, handled correctly and I think I I don't know I mean basically it's a huge mess I mean what am I missing so far I'm still wrapping my head around what's going on here I still can't really tell why these people are leaving are they leaving because of the allegations or the academy's reaction and how they were trying to investigate them it's a little unclear who's leaving for what reason because they're not really being specific about it. Yeah. Do I have that right? So the, well, so I, my understanding of it, and I'm a little bit reading between the lines here because it's not a hundred percent spelled out in this New York times article is that, um, so the firm, they hired this law firm, right. And, and the firm recommended that the Academy file a police report against this guy's cultural club, which was sort of the, uh, catalyst for the abuse of the mm-hmm. women, according to the allegations, um, and and the academy has chosen not to do that. And right. it appears from the quotes from the members who were leaving, um, he, the, you know, several of them said like they're putting friendship and other other uh, irrelevant considerations before integrity. So it mm. seems like the members are leaving because the academy is not making a stance. They're not filing a police report. They're not issuing a condemnation. Like they, it appears that they are disgruntled with the way the academy yes. is handling it. 
And that is why they're leaving. And I find that heartening, to be perfectly honest, yep. that that there are men who believe that a statement should be made and that a or a police report should be filed and that these things should be taken seriously enough that they're leaving a lifetime appointment to a very prestigious organization over it. I, I mean, I find that... Very heartening. I also find this completely insane. The setup of yes. these of of these positions, like that's bananas. You literally, the, Nobel, the Nobel structure is bananas. You, there's no provision for resignations. There's literal <laughs> what? Like I don't understand what what? Yeah. Like first of all, know. elections for life are ridiculous. Second of all, mm. that you would not have a pr- provision for resignation. People get sick. Like people can't. Yeah. Fill a seat forever. Like, what? Um, I just, I find that completely incomprehensible. That they, they, they don't even literally have it on the books where if somebody was to resign, here's what would happen. Like, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't exist. That seems insane to me. Um, that's just, I don't understand it from an organizational standpoint. I have no idea. Um, yeah, that seems weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the problem here is that they, if they don't have a core, I, you know, when you don't meet the minimum standard to change the bylaws, you can't change the bylaws, right? right? right. And they need a 12 member quorum required to vote in new members, and I think to change some other bylaws. Now, it's a little unclear here because some of these rules are secret, like right. we don't actually know. Um, the chairman of the Nobel Committee said the Nobel Prize was not at risk because for that, you only need a simple majority. And you have a quorum when eight members are present. Well, okay, that's all well and good unless some other people right, quit. That's right? Right. Like you're getting pretty close to that anyway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is a good reminder. We get this from time to time about the, the biggest of these awards. I mean, there's no, there's no higher peak in literary awards than mm-hmm. Nobel. I mean, that goes without saying. But even when we've covered weird things that's happened in the Pulitzer, like that year when there was no award mm. because of how... These things are not what you think they are. Just to be clear, these are not a thousand. It's not even like the Academy Awards. We have like a thousand people voting. Mm-hmm. It's like 12 dudes in a yeah. room, mostly dudes. Mm-hmm. And they're appointed for reasons that are not what I think most of us would be super excited about for the reasons you're on these committees. Mm-hmm. So that's another. Th- it's a reminder that these are important awards. They make a big difference. There's a lot of money at stake. But also to take all of it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to take something with a grain of salt that matters mm-hmm. like this because while it's not real, like the judgments putting down are not like objective, the consequences of how these things put together are meaningful. And the internecine, secretive, you know, good old boys mm-hmm. club version of this is exactly the kind of structure that protects and abets the kind of behavior that we're mm-hmm. seeing described. I mean, it's not a surprise. Looking at how this was put together, of course this happened. Right. Of course it did. Um, so I, I hope for the purposes of, I mean, there aren't too many words like the Nobel in literature, and so I think we still want those to be around because it does point attention to an author and work that, wouldn't get, that that's not, doesn't have a replacement value, that doesn't show up somewhere else. But I think it would be, it's welcome that this could be deconstructed and put back together in a way that feels modern, that feels receptive to the times, that feels like the kind of prize that we could have a little more faith in and that won't get subject to some dude harassing a bunch of women and then being protected because everyone's ass is showing about it. Like, that's what we don't want to see here. And I'm not going to try and butcher any of the particulars' names because it's it's a disaster for my already suspect pronunciation skills. Um, but there's a link in the show notes. We're going to hear more about this story. So we're going to follow up as we, we hear other things about here. I don't understand. The Nobel was giving cash 
financial awards to this cultural club, which I don't understand what they're doing either. Um, you know, people are saying we've broken our own rules. You know, maybe this is the kind of reckoning that that's long overdue. Um, but, you know, it's like founded in 1786. I think it's, you know, it may be appropriate to update the bylaws. I'm just putting it out there. But will they have enough members to update the bylaws? Well, that, that, yeah, that's a thing. It's like it's, at some point you got to have enough people. You don't have legal standing because it's not just a bunch of dudes, right? Like there are, there's millions of dollars in stipends annually. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So that money has to be legally dispersed. Yeah. And they can't just decide to like, well, we've got enough people. Let's just, they can't do that. They have, they have to meet these certain requirements. Maybe it could be reconstituted in another form. Who knows what the state of the Nobel Trust is? Like, is there a Nobel Trust outside of that that sort of grants the money to the Nobel Prize on an ongoing basis? I have no idea. Um, so it's a wild story. But, you know, what a, what a time to watch the, the highest halls mm. be shaken by these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, 18 women accused this one particular guy. Is this the, you know, does it get any higher than this? It does not get any higher than this. Um, I guess that it's not actually one of the members of the standing committee, but they were covering for him, apparently. Oh, it's a bad it's Yeah, a bad. I mean, just to clarify, I, it doesn't get higher than this culturally, I would say. Oh, right, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Right, um, yeah, culturally it doesn't get higher. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of allegations, and, you know, some of them were closed because of time, uh statute of limitations. Um, but that's only some of them. And, uh, and yeah, it's, I, I know I'm, I mean, I am heartened, like I said, by Mm -hmm. the fact that people are, are taking this seriously and are making moral stances based on the Academy's response to it. That heartens me. So I, I hope for more positive developments out of this. I really do. And, and this is the power of the me too movement, you know, like Mm -hmm. without that, we don't have this. We really don't. No, So we really don't. And and it, I can only imagine like, that's a serious statement to wait, to make, to walk out of the Nobel prize committee. Like that is not a joke. I mean, That is not, that is not, um, you know, just for, that's not virtue signaling no, or whatever other right. garbage Yeah, that's you not white knighting. Like, like that's, that's, No, that's, yeah. that's, you are stepping down mm-hmm. from the most prestigious prize committee in the history of the world when it comes to literature. So I don't want to minimize that. I mean, I'm not, no, I'm not saying not, that yeah. anyone is, but I want, I want to reiterate that this isn't just sort of a statement put out and no one's have, facing any consequences. These are people stepping down mm-hmm. um, and bringing attention. And, you know, making the kind of uh, existential—I don't know—come, you know, up, up existential reckoning that it sounds like needs to happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for this to to be better. Because um, you know, that's not the only—you know—I'm guessing this is the tip of the iceberg with the kind of insider dealing that probably goes on in this yeah. situation. It sounds to me like they need a 400-person international committee mm. to vote. Like they need something like that where. Because you know, we've talked about this on this podcast before. There are certain kinds of structures that are particularly prone to covering up malfeasance. And one is when you have a small group of people whose fates are intertwined. It becomes very, there's a moral hazard there yeah. to save one because the whole, the whole group is at threat. Well, the larger the group you get, the risk mitigation happens. Yes, you know, that that yeah. helps if you have a whole bunch of people. And you just have more, you have more chances for people to, to leak or to tell their stories or other things like that. Um, there's a certain protection in the crowd. Jeff, the thought I'm having is that I really want like the Jeff Dreamcast of the new Academy. 
<laughs> it would be oh, the most Jeff post well, ever. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think it would be so big, like I couldn't even name all the sure. people. Because like, uh, remember a couple of years ago when the Academy radically expanded its voting membership because it had a similar problem where most of the voting members were like old white dudes. Right. Which, n- no offense against old white dudes, I'm looking forward to being one at some point, but you don't want only those people. No. Um, and so, you know, some of the things we've seen of late, I think, are attributable to, you know, I don't know that The Shape of Water wins Best Picture 10 years ago. I just don't know. It's a weird movie. That's a weird movie to give. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. I, I can't predict the future yeah, or anything like that. But like, it's fringy. It's fringy and it's genre and it's, you know, people have been doing stuff with fish, like whatever. Like, But like, I think that's the kind of thing I would do is like, I would say, you know, I'd get a whole bunch of people I haven't heard of from all parts of the publishing and reading world. I want librarians, you know, I want, uh, and not, and I'd want rank and file librarians. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd Front want, lines, you know, people yeah. that work in publishing and book selling and people who work for nonprofits. I'd take high school teachers. Like that would be my, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Like I would do kind of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would get different awardees and I'm not sure I would like the awardees any more or less, but it's not about what I care about. It's about if the Nobel Prize is sort of like, I'd like to see a little more of Vox Popular mm. in this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. That's, where, that's where I would yeah. go. Um, but then again, you, the, the, you have regression to the mean when you have that many people. Right. That's the other thing. That, that's what you're going to give up, the really idiosyncratic view, the really idiosyncratic pick. I think you would see a lot more. And you also have to be international. I mean, that's right. the other thing I should say too, is like these, you know, represented by population, but I'd like, you know, what what do Thai librarians pick? I have no idea. Like, I'm just trying to think of, like, what, what country do I know literally nothing about their, their literary scene? Like, what are they picking? What's, could, how, would you nom- how would nominations mm-hmm. work? Like, could you find, could it, could it be intergroup discoverability for the jury? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know how it would work. I think it would be fascinating. Yeah. And there's a lot of problems that would go along with it. But, you know, you know what? You wouldn't have people as, like, covering up for dudes that are her- sexually harassing dozens of women. That wouldn't happen. And... Um, I would take that. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that model? What do you think about 400 people sort of kind of from all walks of bookish life yeah. around the world? It would be much harder to have a clear winner, I think. Yeah. Although maybe not. I don't know. I mean, especially internationally, because which books are available at which time periods is a little oh, different, God. right? You come into publishing release schedule shenanigans mm-hmm. um, and language, right? Language barriers. So not everything is available in all languages. And so do you yeah. limit the pool to books published in the languages of the voting members like how do you Mm -hmm. there's so many logistical questions that i have i mean i'm literally thinking of like what a spreadsheet of the votes would look like well try try this one out first i just had an idea while you were saying that what if the maybe there's like five big committees and they're broken up by like part of the world so like every five years the african committee gets to pick a winner and then the next year and it kind of rotates you have asia that committee picks a winner and then europe picks a winner then south america picks a winner so you don't have to have everyone voting outside of their lane necessarily but like almost like the olympics where they move it around to try to spread the wealth or or the debt as it turns out you spread around with the olympics but what i'm saying is that you give a spotlight to each you know you take turns and then so if it's um, the South American year, they can spend the next four years figuring out what their awardee is going to be because mm. the, the, the other committees will be working. So they could, they could have a nominations. They could spread literature around. They could get the review copies. I think that would be an interesting way mm-hmm. um, of both getting – you can cover the waterfront, 
without having everyone have to cover their waterfront and make decisions about cultures and experiences and literary traditions with which they have, you know, not unreasonably no working knowledge. Right. Um, not, not that, that, not that Africa or South America is like a monolith, but it's certainly a, a more manageable unit than the entire world every year. Right. It right. seems to me. Um, yeah. what do you think of that idea? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it just comes back to like, how did these, you know, 16, 12, whatever people pick in the first place? Like, uh, yes. you know, cause, God. cause clearly all of these considerations about publication schedules and language apply to it currently. So talk mm-hmm. about the idiosyncratic pick from a much smaller pool. Uh, yeah, I would. Well that, yeah, I have no idea about that. Right. Like, how does it work now? Yeah. Like, how does Chinua Achebe's work get put in front of them in the first place 30 years right. ago? Like who, certainly, I can't imagine that these committee members are just like reading world literature all day, every no, day to try no. to, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like who gets to be the feeder to the judges? Like yes, who, right, that's an right, interesting right. job, yeah. Because the way the Pulitzer works right now, for example, in literature, which is, we're kind of talking about a structurally much larger scale, but every year there's a there's new judges in fictions, and I don't know how the other arts and newspaper ones, so I'll just speak the one I know about. There's a new panel of judges that do a bunch of the, fil- the screen reading, mm-hmm. and they do read a couple hundred books, and they read can mean a very different things. Like maybe you, you know, if you make it, if you can't make it 50 pages in, you just, you know, discard yes, that right. from consideration. Then that panel makes a recommendation to the standing Pulitzer board, mm. who then chooses from the, I think between three and five finals, I can't remember off the top of my head. So they get they get it windowed down mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that. So you know you could imagine a similar system where there is a reading committee sure. that then presents it to a larger board of some kind. Um, you know you could do it different ways if you wanted. And just looking at at the the list of the people who have stepped down, there are a lot of people with umlauts and G R S D constructions. Like these are Norwegians. Like there's not like a there's not like a dude from Guatemala on the Nobel Committee for Literature. Like I don't know if people know that either. Like these right. are Swedes that are somehow filtering out the breadth of the world's literature to make a decision, which when you say it like that sounds like an impossible, ridiculous task to assign to any people. Mm-hmm. Um, but there we are right now. So, okay, fan casting. I think I just I gave it to you. <laughs> you I gave did, my thank cast. you. <laughs> yeah, all along the fan cast, was, that's really what it turned out to be. Oh, I think we're done. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we did a whole hour on that? two stories. <laughs> I think that's a record. I can't, I'm sure there must have been one that Rebecca and I spent like a whole hour talking mm-hmm. about, but I, it, it doesn't come to mind. Yeah. Uh, but Circe, uh, pricing drama, and Nobel, Nobel Me Too. Like, if you're going to pick yeah. two, they say, yep, those, that's the episode where you did two stories and two stories. And, and thank we didn't have any other sponsors we had to take right. care of because we, we, we spent it all there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for joining me on this wild and crazy adventure. Uh, you know, you can now look for us under the Searcy podcast. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm joking about that. Uh, well, I guess we'll see. I guess next week we'll have follow-up, yeah, and that'll probably yeah. be the end of the Searcy story, I guess. Um, the Nobel Prize thing, we're going to fall for a while. Some of these other stories we're going to have to cover next week. The Paris Review's got a new editor. Mm. We've got James Patterson doing James Patterson things we got to talk about. So that's, that's what we call a tease in the business. Um, you can find show notes to this and all episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. I'd love to hear your responses to any of the things we talked about today. If you have a better idea, which I'm sure you will because you thought about for more than 15 seconds about rebuilding, re constructing the Nobel Prize selection situation. If we've said something that you understand better about how the Nobel is put together, I'd love to hear that. If you know things about Circe, book pricing, Amazon, all that kind of stuff, um, I'd love to hear that. You can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. We'll talk to you guys later. Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.